Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Stacks. This is Jay, uh, our festive curator. And I am Ho 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 Shanna Claus. Excellent. I didn't have one for Halloween, but I got one for this. Perfect. Uh, first up this week, we're talking about the classic, uh, not 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 exactly the first kaiju, but sort of the the main kaiju that uh, uh, kind of generated the whole wave, Godzilla. The first one you think about when you think of kaiju. Yeah, or Gojira, uh, 1954. Uh, I, I believe both of us watched the original Japanese version and not... Oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> the Perry Mason uh, version. Uh, well, there, there is the Americanized version where uh, they insert Perry Mason into a whole bunch of scenes uh, where he's just watching it happen. There's no... And commenting on it, like, a, as a newsman. That movie doesn't need that. No, it's it's terrible. It's uh like it, well, I I shouldn't say terrible, but it's uh it's a much lesser version of the film. Was that on the same disc? I think so. I I'm okay. pretty sure both versions are in uh, the set. Uh, we were watching from the gigantic, ridiculous Criterion complete uh, Godzilla set. This thing is incredible um i've got it in front of me here uh it kind of reminds me of like the gamera set but bigger it's considerably bigger uh it's not as thick but it's 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 big it's like probably a foot and a half by a foot it's It's completely absurd i I really hate the way the way the discs are held, though. Because, oh, like, my oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. They get down um, into the thing. You get glue on them. Oh, it's so irritating. Ooh, and I like I was looking at it. I'm like, how am I going to get this out of here without because if it was mine, I would just, you know, do what I got to do. But it's it's not mine. It's yours. And I got to look after it. Well, like I, I brought it in a bag to like just put it back in the bag to bring it back because it's such a pain to carry. <laughs> and now, uh, but yeah, but it's I mean, gorgeous. It's cool. Yeah. And yeah. you have like these huge, uh, like it, the almost comic book panel pages, but giant oversized art with uh, essays on each of the films, which is pretty oh, cool. Oh, heck. I'm actually, I'm actually flipping through it for the first time. And yeah, you've got like these great, yeah, they, they do look like comic uh, panels, some of them. And yeah, you know, this is this is a great set. It's really cool. It really is cool. So this first Godzilla, uh, quite different from the other kaiju movies we've discussed thus far. Oh, yeah. Oh, very different. Uh, in the, all those ones, I was even Yongari. I was rooting for the monster. You can't root for the monster in this one. No, and it's amazing that they did eventually rehabilitate Godzilla into a hero character. Uh, although we'll we'll have to talk a bit about that at the end of this because I have a few thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this one's very somber. It's a very serious movie. Uh, Godzilla is obviously the personification of the nuclear bomb or just the general threat of nuclear annihilation. Oh yeah. This, this isn't, as I was watching it, I was just thinking like, 
this isn't even a kaiju film. This is a war film with a kaiju in it. Or, or like a nuclear panic. It reminded me more of Ladybug, Ladybug than it did of Godzilla. Yeah, well, like the atmosphere totally is much more that. It's it's just this feeling of, uh, man, the, this this thing it's could dread. just destroy us at any time. It's it's total nuclear <laughs> There's dread. Nothing anyone could do about it, and that's and you don't you don't see that in these kaiju films. Well, most kaiju films, it feels like the cities are abandoned by the time the monster gets there. Um, yeah, and here it most certainly is not. No, like you actually see in the same shot, like people fleeing from their lives while Godzilla's approaching, which I, I mean, I guess you, I you sort say, of had that really in Yongari, but you, you didn't of. have it done well. <laughs> yeah, like you weren't afraid of Yongari. You were no. more like, yeah, go Yongari, get these things, get the OK, break dance. Oh, oh, you poor thing. You poor crush thing. those models. Oh. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But this one feels just genuinely threatening all the time. Like there, there's a genuine sense of menace at all times. Like Godzilla is barely in this movie. Well, it's, um, it's played as a mystery for a really long period of time. We're, we're just kind of figuring out what is happening. Oh yeah. Like, like he's barely in it, but he, it feels like he's always there. He's just this ominous presence. He is this literal personification of nuclear dread. Uh-huh. Like he, he's just lurking and looming. Yep, and you don't know where he's gonna strike, and there's nothing you nothing you can do if he does. And and I would say also the black and white feels more appropriate here than it did in the first Gamera movie. Oh, definitely. Um, it also like. In this it lets them do some really cool shots in the like really well lit interesting shots in the human scenes um yeah like and just particularly with dr eye patch oh yeah sarazawa i love sarazawa uh and just really dark sequences with a godzilla at night and just really high contrast things so we can see cool effects with the nuclear breath yeah all the rockets. Uh, lots of fun models in this, too, still. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's not a fun movie. No, it's it's not. Well, <laughs> some of it's pretty fun. I mean, like, it's still kind of silly at times. but And there's, like, the whole romance triangle, which is really strange. Oh, I kind of just... I, I ignored that. <laughs> I mean, I know it's barely there, but isn't it amazing that even here in the original super serious revered godzilla there is still a completely extraneous human romance triangle oh yeah (laughs) yeah uh but this movie opens on just an incredibly serious note because we have this sequence with uh the peaceful ship the aiko maru their fishing ship they're just kind of all out there there's like a guy playing guitar they're singing and chilling on deck Yep, they're just uh, yeah, they're they're just fishing, and then uh, what happens? They pull in. Well, like there's just a light under the water. That's what it. Right, right. And they they hear like a, a sound, and then just they they're destroyed. And notably, this is based on a real thing that happened. Godzilla. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> like like something similar happened with a ship like this or uh 
essentially this exact thing happened, uh, but it was fallout from the Bikini Atoll H-bomb tests by America. Uh, and this uh, Japanese fishing ship, the, uh, I'm totally going to bugger up this name, uh, the Daigo Fukuryu Maru, uh, this, literally this thing happened to it. They they saw light under the water, there was explosion. Uh, and I don't think they were all immediately killed, but they were badly irradiated and they died soon after. So this is like really serious. And like anyone who was in Japan at the time seeing this, would have immediately known what this was about. Right, but it turns out to not be about the H-bombs, but then it turns out to be about the H-bombs. Yeah, exactly. So it's really interesting to directly tie Godzilla into this real-world event. I didn't, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I did notice watching this, uh, 1954 Japan is a much different place from, say, 1980s, 90s, 2000s Japan that I'm used to seeing media from. Yeah, this is completely just, different country. The the rebuild was not there yet. Yeah. Uh, the, the, um, the the what what is it called? I, I think it's called the economic miracle, uh, and just you know they're they're a huge development with all yeah. of the, with with Sony and all the chip technologies. Yeah, here you can see they're still very much like they're recovering. They're they're it, rebuilding. It's a different I mean, they yeah, lost exactly. two cities entirely to yeah. the nuclear threat. And I mean, they are referenced a bunch in the movie. And, and at this point, it's not even 10 years ago that it happened. Yeah. Uh, and Oh, yeah. I, one thing that I totally want to call out at the beginning is uh, Akira Fukube's incredible score. I love the score for Godzilla. Just that um, really ominous. I hadn't paid attention to this, like specific attention to the score. Just it felt appropriate. Yeah, um, I, really I mean, it, it feels it feels 50s, but, you know, it's, it's very 50s. There's that's a lot OK. Of I mean, it's kind of in the 50s. So, you know, I guess that's all right. There's a lot of parts of it that like genuinely get caught in my head. And just the actual Godzilla theme is just this really cool, ominous beat. I love it. Uh, and also uh, what we actually first open with before anything is just roaring over the credits and then oh, the yep. coming in. <laughs> uh, so after the Ico Maru uh, and they hear a roar first, but like they hear a Godzilla roar rather than yeah. the roar of a bomb. Uh, we, we get uh, them in touch with Ogata, who's one of our main characters, who's the head of South Seas Salvage, who takes the SOS. Okay, so I couldn't really... This is a big problem I have with human characters and these things, is that for some reason I never really get to figure out... It just never clicks in what their job is or why they're getting involved in this. I like, completely like, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> the only reason I know this is I have watched this movie upwards of 50 times. So, like, I'm really familiar with all of these people and all of the background details. Yeah, like, like I know why the prime minister is getting involved, but... Yeah. <laughs> some, some of these people is like, okay. But, you know, and that's the thing about kaiju films. I was just waiting for them to go, go find the nearest five-year-old. He'll know what to do. It, well, it's it's the giant claw thing. They're people doing a job, 
doing a job and having a fun doing a job and doing it well <laughs> they're doing a job damn it <laughs> you know they're just they're, they're sort of stock characters who all kind of have to fill a place and the only ones that really stand out are the ones that are played by someone really notable or who you know are just really strange like Sarazawa with his eye patch and his uh death wish basically yeah, and, and this whole mad scientist shtick that he's got going on. He's just altogether a very intense character. I, I like him quite a bit. He's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so we uh, South Sea Salvage, he takes the SOS and they contact another ship, the Bingo Maru, which also approaches the area and unfortunately then also is destroyed. Right. And they're like... They're, everyone's freaking out. Like I, they're they're starting to call people. Like something is seriously up, and we don't really know how to deal with it. Uh, but three survivors from the boat are rescued by a fishing boat from Odo Island, which is a really key location. Oh yeah. So this the the is this the island with the the chief? Um. Yeah, this is sort of the main <laughs> island where kind of everything takes place, where we have our first encounters. Uh, the, the chief of this island, um, he's, he's the one fed who, up. <laughs> he, he's the one who knows about Godzilla. Yeah, because you know there's always somebody. He's and like so the point of God or his story about Godzilla is. Uh, Godzilla lives in the lives in the sea and he eats fish and if he runs out of fish to eat he comes up to the surface and starts eating people. So if you find that you have a really bad harvest like for fish right. uh, you sacrifice a little girl uh, you just put her out into the boat and send her off into the middle of the ocean. Godzilla eats her and boom you're good again. Yeah. And and the way he describes how all that's left of that ritual is just this dance now that they do, like a, a yeah, religious we get to see dance, the dance kind of too. Yeah, yeah. But he, he, it's really like kids these days won't yeah. even sacrifice anyone to Godzilla. It's won't just even like sacrifice Chief a little girl. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it's exactly like Abe Vigoda in uh, Joe versus the volcano. It's like, ah, I mean, I can't do it. That's not my job. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone want to sacrifice themselves to Godzilla? <sighs> Come on. No. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, uh, that's but, basically his whole shtick. <laughs> right, and so. Of course, first, we so we have the three survivors rescued by a fishing boat. And then almost immediately after we get news, oh, the fishing boat was also destroyed. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Right. And then finally, like, a raft comes in to Odo Island. And the one survivor's like, it got us and our boat, too. And that's when all of the gossip and dance and stuff starts about Godzilla. Because they're like, oh, oh it's yeah, a right. thing, not... Uh, just a phenomenon or an attack like they're yeah. like oh this is some kind of beast yeah that's right they start off like a little girl talks to the chief like you and your godzilla there's no godzilla or there is a godzilla and he's right because he's uh, right because they're always night, right right like that <laughs> night someone's house gets stomped in the night okay so that was neat because with how dark the shot was you can't really see what happened yeah. And I think that's really cool because I'm just 
it's plausible that it's a storm. It could be. Like, I'm, I'm looking at it, I'm squinting, I actually have it on pause, I'm like, is there a giant foot there, or is something else going on? And there is, of course, like, a really fierce storm at the same time, and it destroys a lot of stuff just in and of itself. Because they're hit, like, with a, a big typhoon. Right, yeah. Uh, and it, it sort of destroys a bunch of models. I think we see a, a helicopter get wrecked up. It's it's pretty nice. Like, a, a lot of really cool model work here, just as kind of a, a taster of what we're going to get later. Yep, um, another... The models in this are actually really good, and they use a lot of... Well, they do. They also it works. They also use a lot of non-model footage. Like yes. you actually have people on ships, or, or like I think a few shots of people in tanks. Yeah, this one feels like a bigger production than any of the other ones we've watched as well. Even though it's the first one, it feels like it just comes from a higher budget level, higher uh, level of production. Definitely more production value than I've come to expect from these kaiju films. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the last one we watched was Younger. This is quite a contrast. <laughs> Younger had great models, though. Oh, Younger's models were completely unimpeachable. This one has good ones, too. but And the, and the black and white helps if there is any issues with the models, right. like any imperfections, uh, this helps to kind of conceal that, the black and white. So, yeah, and the it use really of darkness. Works. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a movie that uses darkness very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really like the next sequence of just a bunch of people testifying in court that, yes, it was a monster. They, they were attacked by a monster. A monster stepped on their house. <laughs> And we get uh, Kyohei Yamane, uh, played by the great Takashi Shimura, who's in just a whole lot of Akira Kurosawa movies. He's in Seven Samurai. He's in Akiru. Uh, okay. And he, he's talking about Godzilla and just sort of the theories on it. And he cites the Yeti as a similar beast. So at this point, I guess we would consider Godzilla to be a cryptid. I guess so, wouldn't we? Huh. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, I mean, there, there's the Yeti. Lots of people have reported it, but we've never been able to capture one. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Uh, vis-a-vis, one-to-one, it is Godzilla, uh, for sure. Uh, and oh, yeah. I, I just really like this whole section here where the ocean becomes very ominous. And it's ominous to all of Japan because... You know, this is making headlines everywhere. Things are really creepy. And they're like, uh, all of these people have testified in court. They're like, yeah, we were attacked by a giant monster. And I I really feel like, you know, all of Japan is an island. And we also live on an island. So I really feel that just the the kind of claustrophobic nature of the ocean becoming kind of a whole source of danger around you. You know, I had... um... I wasn't thinking about that before, but I am now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, if if that water, big old thing of water wanted to go and do a big old tsunami. uh, Exactly. The the tsunami is the thing I'm thinking of. um, So, yeah, I I mean, like that, that's that's just sort of another thing that I feel is resonant and really interesting with the way they sort of set up the dread of Godzilla long before you really have Godzilla make an appearance. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, so they send a team to Odo Island, uh, led by Shimura, with a bunch of Geiger counters, and they find a lot of radioactivity. Oh, yes. Is this is this also where they find... They're, they're checking out the footprint, right? Yes, Yamane is the one who finds an actual Godzilla footprint, which is super radioactive. And, and they find the trilobite there? Yeah, like... I think it's a, like a recent, alive. A, yeah, I, I believe I, it's alive or just like recently dead. It's like just come out of uh, Godzilla's foot, like was stuck to him or something. Yeah, yeah, it's not like a fossil. It's an actual like trilobite, probably dead. Yeah, well, I mean, it's super radioactive now, but yeah, he's so. like, but he's like, holy shit, this. Do you see what this is? This is a trilobite. It's like these have been dead for millions of years. Here's the th- okay, so here's the thing that kind of threw me off when because they were all saying until two million years ago dinosaurs walked the earth and I'm like that's eh, <laughs> not quite right but not quite not quite no no well or, I mean, or maybe in the Godzilla verse it is quite well, right yeah you know it could be because uh, uh, yeah who knows yeah I I mean I would say that dinosaurs still walk the earth because we still have alligators and crocodiles and I'd say they are birds. It, yeah, birds. True. I, I and especially like bigger, scarier birds. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> what if a goose is a dinosaur? Goose kind of is a dinosaur. It's an awful dinosaur. Oh, they're terrible. Awful little bastard dinosaur. <laughs> they're the worst. Uh, but like, it's pretty much right after him finding the trilobite that someone sounds an alarm, and they're like. Guys, Godzilla's coming. Godzilla is on the other side of the mountain. He's he's already here for us. And just like, <laughs> yeah. I, I really like the way they build up the tension. <laughs> uh, it, it reminds me of, uh, do, do you remember those uh, Evening with Kevin Smith DVDs? No, um, I can't say I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, back in the early days of DVD, Kevin Smith did a series of DVDs where, like, you know, he just did live talks with audiences because he has lots of anecdotes from people he's met i imagine he would i i think it was when he was first meeting prince and he was getting a bunch of calls about when he was going to meet prince and he got like a call like prince will uh be calling you in one hour and then you know uh an hour passed and like he gets a call and it's you know prince will be calling you in half an hour and like just like smaller increments of time and then finally be calling you in one minute and then he does call him yeah it's that sort of thing it's like holy shit this really builds up the tension (laughs) it's like godzilla is coming he's right over here guys (laughs) (laughs) and and then he pokes his head over the mountain yeah i I really like that just him rising over the hill and roaring and you could only see his head at this point. You haven't seen his whole body yet. So he could just be like a four-legged alligator thing. You don't know what he's going to look like. Yeah, because this is all we see at this point for a while still. Yep, yep. Uh, and so uh, Yamane does his slideshow presentation. Uh, we, we get some very specific concrete details. Uh, Godzilla is 165 feet tall. Now, I thought he was bigger than that. I think I think he's become version. bigger than that. Yeah, I would say definitely some versions are. And well, like this is 
I, I would say this is a unique Godzilla. All, all further Godzillas have to well, be a different one. Yeah, okay, yes, I, I agree. This is... Based on the conclusion of the film. Yeah, you're right. Um, but, which is actually something that uh, that I thought of, because they mention how he, under this, he lives under this cave, under the ocean. Right. And they're mentioning how he's got to go out to hunt for himself or others like him they say so exactly. theoretically there could be a civilization of godzillas and um and in some of the later american movies we see godzilla temples under the ground but that's a whole other thing <laughs> oh yeah but yeah i mean th- this could be the source of many of the kaiju that we do end up seeing and additional godzillas because <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I guess spoiler alert. Godzilla fucking dies at the end of this, like straight up. He's done. Really super. He's not dead. coming back. Absolutely dead. Concretely dead. Yeah. Uh, but we, we like, learn specifically. Yongri has a better chance of coming back than this Godzilla does. <laughs> yeah, like Yongri still had some meat on the bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we we learned that Godzilla was awoken by the H-bomb, that H-bomb tests were specifically what woke Godzilla. So, again, we're echoing the Bikini Atoll H-bomb stuff. And this is this is interesting because at some, I don't know if it's here or later. I'm, I'm really sketchy on the order that everything happens in. But we get like a we get the scene of, I guess, the Senate or whatever. And one guy's like, we can't tell people. We can't tell the world that it's because of H-bombs. We have to tell them it's because of H-bombs. But no, it'll make us look bad. But we have to... And, and I'm just like... Hmm, this yeah, I think that's a lot right like about Cher- here. Chernobyl, but, you know, yes. that hasn't happened yet. Um, well, I, yeah, but, but it really I mean, reminded me of, a, of the show. <laughs> totally. And, like, China Syndrome, that, that movie I was talking about a while back, was like, yeah, we were, I was explaining this, like, oh, yeah, that sounds exactly like Chernobyl. I was like, yeah, would you believe it happened, like, seven years later? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. This I, It starts to get out pretty quick. We we see people talking on a train about evacuation plans, and we see someone say, like, damn it, I barely avoided the bomb in Nagasaki. Now this? Oh, my God. <laughs> They're like, again with the evacuations kind of thing, like, and... and you know just to drive it home that was nine years ago at this point yeah exactly this is so recently there there's still like how am i dealing with this and already i guess i guess for context what if 9-11 happened and then 10 years later you had another 9-11 part two but like an ongoing one that was just like rolling through the country yeah uh well give it time um. <laughs> <laughs> but like so they they first start to like okay we're, we're gonna deal with this we'll just drop a bunch of death charges and that'll kill whatever this thing is we'll, we'll take care of it no problem <laughs> <laughs> of course the professor's like this guy was forged in the fires of h-bombs you can't do anything but they try yeah and but at this point first he's sad we we have this whole scene of him looking like he's pretty sad that they're dropping these depth charges because as a zoologist, he kind of doesn't want them to kill Godzilla. He he really wants to be able to study Godzilla. Yeah. And, and you know, there I, I get his point, like his radiation resistance. There's definitely practical effects if we could harness that. But 
the problem with that is God you, yeah, you gotta I mean, do something with Godzilla. You can't just it, let him wander yeah, around and study him in the wild. This Godzilla especially is just you, you can't this let Godzilla this is, this an is asshole. The, this is the meanest version of Godzilla ever. Like the like I was saying earlier, you cannot cheer for the kaiju in this one. He is no. mean. He is angry. He is vengeful. Yeah. And like, and, and he, like he hates people. He, he just, really does. He hates buildings. He just wants he wants us dead. Right. And our first encounter is basically right here where he attacks the party boat. Oh, it's just like yeah. a, a party boat in the harbor, and he just rises out of the water uh, and and takes them out. And it's it's basically right after that that Yamane is doing his. I'm pretty sure he's invincible. You know, it's the H bomb. He he was forged in the fires of the H bomb. But he's really back and forth on this point. He he goes back and forth between I'm really sad that we're trying to kill Godzilla. And it's like no no Godzilla is completely invincible. We couldn't even kill him if we tried. Yeah, I think he's just I think he's just sad that if this doesn't end in Godzilla's death, it's going to end in everyone else's. Death. No, that's not really kind of the vibe I got from him, though. He doesn't seem to worry about that. Yeah, he, he's just I think he's just more like, why would you want to just kill this thing outright? Come on, guys, at least he really wants he really wants there to be some kind of solution where they trap Godzilla but I can't imagine trapping this version of Godzilla He's some not later trying reasons, to maybe. be bad <laughs> This one is trying This one to is be trying bad. to be bad Oh man I've I've never seen the title kaiju be such a villain just like a straight villain completely from beginning to end and Oh, man, like I wasn't expecting anything I got from this movie, even though it warned me. <laughs> uh, so this is around where we're introduced to Dr. Sarazawa, who we know is working on something secret and that it has to do with uh, water and that it's horrifying because uh, we, we see uh, Emiko, uh, the, the third member of the uh, triangle with Ogata, Sarazawa and Yamane. Or sorry, uh, oh, uh, Ogata. Yeah. Uh, Yamane is the father of Emiko, and she's in love with Ogata, but had a thing in the past with Sarazawa, and Sarazawa still has a thing for her. Right? I think that's it. So, so Sarazawa's making a weapon. <laughs> he is making an absolutely terrifying chemical weapon that he is, destroys all is... life in water it it is called an oxygen destroyer and it is um it's difficult to quantify just how terrifying this thing actually is it's like kurt vonnegut's ice nine it's one of these things that if it got out into the world it, it's the end of all things it's just absolutely horrifying the the devastation that this thing would cause it's and it's like uh it's like Genesis from Wrath of Khan, if that yeah. had gotten misused. Like this yeah. is so what it is is a tiny little amount just destroys all the oxygen around it. Um including any oxygen that happens to be in the atoms or cells that make up us. Yeah. Or any and, living uh, thing. Or, or any living thing, life. which is, you know, 
every living thing. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's pretty terrifying. And so as I was like, yeah, I mean, this is a really horrible thing that I created. I don't know why I did it. You know, science, I guess. But yeah. I can't ever let anyone ever use it. And it's like, it could be used against Godzilla, but I can't let anyone ever use it, even for this. Yeah, yeah. And but we'll he, just put that in want, our back pocket for a bit. <laughs> yeah, like he doesn't want anyone to even know that this thing exists that he's working yeah. on. Yeah, he tells only Emiko. Or em, Emika? I'm not sure. But Emiko. he's not opposed to it enough to stop working on it, though. So, you know. No, or I guess he's already got it. Like, it's just sort of. Well, there. yeah, he does have it. It's yeah. He's got it done. Uh, and then we, we get some of our first Godzilla on land. We have the military shooting at Godzilla. We have our first big mass evacuation sequence. Oh, yeah. And that, here, here's where we see this. He's he's an asshole. He's such an asshole. Uh, oh. Yamane first is like, hey, don't sh shine searchlights on Godzilla. It'll only make him angrier. And like, I don't think you can make him angrier. I bet you could. <laughs> I mean, I bet you he's could. angry. <laughs> There's always new levels of anger that people don't know they have. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Godzilla derails a train and then, like, picks up a train car and chomps on it. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's just doing this to kill people. He's, he's not eating the car because it tastes good. He's like, he wants to be terror. He's chomping it up. He's like tosses one off to the side. Uh, he tears up a bridge, like just grabs it and rips it apart just for fun on his way back out to sea. I think he does this twice in the movie. Oh, yeah. He, he goes through a few bridges. Like anytime um, he's on his way out of town into the, the ocean, he's like, well, I'll just wreck up this bridge while I'm on my way. <laughs> could go around it, but fuck that. Yeah, I mean, like, specifically, th this is the purpose of leaving here. We'll, we'll get rid of this bridge. Like, Yongari might have been going for 100% completion of um, of destruction of all the buildings, but Godzilla's going for the uh, the emotional devastation. The people yeah. and, like... Like, Godzilla is is aiming to really cause devastation everywhere. Godzilla is destroying infrastructure. Yeah, it's not just about the buildings. Oh, man, this is... Again, like, war. <laughs> this is war. It, it is. Right? <laughs> like... Go and, go, you know, destroy those bridges. That, that kind of... Uh, yeah, it's, it's all pretty clear there. Uh, and then, quite pointedly, we, we start seeing a lot of troops filing up along the coast for getting ready for whenever the next attack's going to be. Again, a lot like, you know, how they would be deflecting an attack. Yeah. <laughs> Even though they know that these these weapons will do nothing against Godzilla. You just want to slow them down at this point. Like, if you even can. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they evacuate a bunch of cities. And this is when we have this weird debate between Ogata and Yamane about killing Godzilla. Oh, yeah. Right. Where he's like, well, we should study him and his radiation resistance. He's going to fucking kill everyone. He's not, terrifying. Maybe not everyone. He might not. 
it and like Yamane, mean to be bad. <laughs> Yamane is kind of the the Toshio of this movie <laughs> somehow. K- kind of. Um, there is he, you know, no... he's like, you don't shine the searchlights on him. He doesn't like it. <laughs> I don't like them. I don't want him to kill Godzilla. It's a it's a little different. Because it's very Tosh- different because no, Toshio was kind of right. Um, yes. And and it, isn't that weird that the different the the biggest difference is that Toshio is right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also it's that Shimura is so incredibly dignified in the role that you kind of feel for him and you agree with him somehow, even though it's like, no, I mean this this Godzilla really super needs to be stopped though. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh. Uh, and uh, notably, he has this argument and. Uh, Ogata's like, I mean, we we have to kill him. He's like, have you seen the amount of devastation he's been causing? And Yamane throws him out, and this is big drama because you know he's in love with Emiko, and you know the past, the Sarazawa, and it's like, oh, romance triangles. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then um, this leads into the next, the biggest attack, I would say, the the really big Godzilla attack. Uh, this is the one where he starts using all his powers. Yeah. Because uh, uh, we haven't seen powers yet. We've just right. seen him break things. Yeah, the, the, all of this other stuff has just been strolling through for practice. But like this one, we, we see the power lines get wrecked up first, which is Yeah, they're, so they're cool. trying to make like a barrier of power lines, maybe hoping the electricity will like repel them. I don't really understand how it works because it doesn't at all. Well, I think it's exactly the same thing as in Gamera. They're kind of hoping maybe they can electrocute him, but it doesn't work. Not not even a little bit. No, not even close. Uh, it, it's a complete joke to Godzilla. <laughs> just like, oh, yeah, he doesn't even. It's like, what even is this? Just kind of slapping them around. And then this is the first time we see the atomic breath, which is such a cool effect. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Now, I wasn't I didn't understand what I was seeing at first because it was black and white and it's it's like an animated effect. So I thought totally. I was just seeing kind of like a stylized fire. But th- and then I realized just how he was melting things and just. Yeah, there, like, there's like no flame coming out. It's just these things are melting away. The atomic yeah. breath. Super cool effect. And like his fins on his back glow. Mm-hmm. That's like I've I've seen older God or newer Godzillas where the atomic breath is always like this huge friggin' Kamehameha fireball way. Right. And you see it coming, but this is cool. This is neat because it's just he breathes and things melt and you don't really see the breath. And that's scarier. Yeah, and it's a, the all of the utility towers just melting away that like for the from the power lines extremely yeah. cool and and this sequence has so many great models this is like the big model sequence as he attacks minato and like by the end of it the skyline is on fire completely engulfed in flames uh, oh man it's such a and like you see people like wounded like nurses tend to wounded and all this stuff and it's like I think most terrifyingly, there's a sequence where there's a woman hiding in an alley with her small children saying, we're going to join daddy as Godzilla is approaching. Oh, my God. And they, yeah, they get like stepped on. 
Yeah, <laughs> it goes extremely hard with it. Uh, and we, we also see the news reporting from a rooftop at like the far end of town. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like like um like disaster news kind of thing. Yeah. Like, we're here risking our lives to get you this footage of Godzilla. Yeah. And like they're, you know, they're in downtown Tokyo. They're they're just like on the roof at, at the far end. And there's like he he seems to be heading this way and he heads straight their way. Oh, yeah. They die. Yeah, uh, all of downtown Tokyo is fucking destroyed. <laughs> like it's it's an absolutely huge, devastating sequence. It's pretty amazing. And then, of course, on his way out of town, he flips another bridge for good measure. <laughs> it's just like, just fuck you guys. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> fuck. Uh, I mean, I'm laughing, but this is actually brutal. This is not played for fun or no. Like this, this is. Like, I, I never thought I'd say this about a kaiju, but this is serious fucking business. Yeah, it, it's like a disaster movie. He he feels like th- this is a tsunami that just won't stop. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and you don't really see this in other kaiju films, although I've only seen it's very the ones uncommon. we've covered and like more recent Godzilla films. But you don't see the human cost of a fucking giant monster stepping through your city. No, but super here, rare. Here, like the human cost, like it's front and center. These you're seeing you're not just seeing buildings being destroyed and be like, hey, 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 building fall down. You were it's like people lived there. People are probably in there and dead. Lives have been ruined and oh look, he just did it to another one. They're Yeah, it's terrifying. And and like we we see people we see people running away and then like after every attack we see all of these hospitals just stuffed with people like every yeah. time there's an attack we we get all of those sequences in between of just like the devastation which you would only get in like a disaster or a war movie usually you would not get yeah. it in this you don't get it in the marvel movies no um, I think maybe Man, a little bit if... in some of the last couple of them because they're like people had started calling them out for it. Man. I think there's a little bit of it in some of the more recent ones, but yeah. Uh, I haven't seen anything after Endgame. Uh, I have. I well, I think I've only seen the Spider-Man one after that. Well, yeah. There's a new one coming out. Just I think it's already out. Oh, <laughs> I don't I'm, know. I've stopped with Marvel. I, I'll Once catch I up realize... with them again in a bit. It's just like. I, I'm not going to theaters, right? <laughs> well, that that's what it is. And yeah, and there's such not a great theater spectacle. I'll get the Blu-rays eventually. Like I, I have picked up Black Widow. I just have not had the urge to watch it yet. <laughs> It'll come up in the snack sooner or later. I'm sure it will. <laughs> but yeah, like this is. Yeah, this plays this the devastation. Feels like a de- this feels like a deconstruction of a genre that didn't even exist yet at the time yeah it's it's mourning the loss of the war it's it's super echoing all of the things that happened in japan in like 1945 yeah yeah and that like that's that's what it feels like you forget that this is about a silly man in a rubber suit Mm -hmm. although i i will say the suit like the suit is good in this one it is rubber it is it's not cheap. It's textured. It it really feels like 
monstrous, like not like prehistoric and yeah. powerful. And like, they they use it pretty sparingly. Like they don't they don't make Godzilla overstay the welcome. There aren't silly fights. Godzilla just kind of walks through and wrecks stuff and then returns. Yeah. There, there there's not a lot of business. His actual game. screen time probably isn't more than like fifteen or twenty minutes. Yeah. But he's he's there the whole time. This is this is the most effective kaiju, scary kaiju film. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, from a genre that I've never thought of as scary, but should have. Yeah, it's it's very strange because like the concept of a huge monster that could at any time just rise out of the ocean and stomp any house at once. I mean, that's incredibly terrifying, uh, but it's rarely played as horror. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, like like when I was a kid, I used to watch the Power Rangers. Yeah, um, exactly. always turn into their giant robots and smash these skyscrapers, not even thinking about how many people in whatever town got killed that week from Power Ranger antics. Because <laughs> you know that never really comes up. Yeah, I I feel like there's usually some sort of explanation of evacuation, but I don't know if the Power Rangers at least the american version that we got had any explanations like that none They're, they needed to to save the time for bulk and skull which honestly was the right call <laughs> it was the right call out every step of the way <laughs> and then shoehorning them into later seasons again right call i'm not being sarcastic They're my favorite part <laughs> absolutely uh so after this big like swath of destruction just complete total annihilation of downtown tokyo godzilla smashes a bridge heads back out to sea the air force is sent in shooting a bunch of rockets and like notably i feel like it's so useless because he godzilla kind of swats at them annoyed but none of the rockets even hit godzilla at any point and even if they did they'd be useless yeah i feel like at this point they're just kind of out of ideas and it's like yeah, and I mean, Godzilla is we just have to throw something at to him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really like how nonchalant Godzilla is. It's like, well, I'm just going back to the ocean. You guys want to shoot at me. I mean, I, I can destroy oh, a yeah. couple planes on my way out, too. That's fine. It's like they're flies. They are. They're very much like flies to Godzilla. Uh, and, you know, we we this is when we just get all of these sequences of... Tokyo just totally in ruins and there's definitely real war footage sorted in here you know there's all of these sequences of overstuffed hospitals we have reports of children who are left radioactive because or we 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 see these people using Geiger counters and we see these children with the Geiger counter crackling over them like it's terrifying man uh, so much of Godzilla makes sense when I think that it came up that the original was in 1954 and not like yeah. 1998. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, um, and all of this imagery just from the news must have been super, well, from the news and just from their daily lives would have been pretty familiar to anyone in Japan over like 15 years old. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, <laughs> this movie is a good movie, a good drama movie it's not like a silly kind of popcorn flick 
No, it's it's super different from that. It's an intense like. Oh man, but we we still haven't even got to like what happens to Godzilla. So right, so that's pretty much here because Emiko after all of this is like, okay, I I can't stay silent anymore. I have to spell Sarazawa's secret about the oxygen destroyer, and this is where we get like his speech about why he won't allow to use it. It's like adding another weapon to humanity's terrifying arsenal is something I can't allow. Great so, line. Yeah. And what he ends up doing, he puts his money where his mouth is. Uh, he destroys all the records of, uh, of his research and he takes all of the oxygen destroyer that's been made. And he's the only one who knows how to make it. So if anything happens to him, this isn't getting made ever again. Yeah, and like I think notably here, when he burns his notes, Emiko knows he plans to die with his invention. Yeah. Because she weeps when she sees him start to burn his notes. She knows where it's going. Oh, yeah. And honestly, he would have to in order to keep his promise. Because if he gets out of that alive... How many people are going to be like, okay, so that oxygen destroyer that you made, want to tell us how to do it? Yeah, the only place that they can get the information is in his head. And like he basically alluded to that in the first scene when he was talking about it, that like, you know, I'll have to die to protect it if necessary. Hey, uh, we're the CIA and we're not asking. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're going to tell us where this thing is or or how to make this thing rather. Yeah. And uh, so he's oh, like, no, oh, no, no, you got to tell the KGB first. And yeah, it's going to be a clusterfuck. And and of course, Sarazawa, he's our guy with an eye patch. He's very intense. Obviously, he's our big dark hero guy who yeah. is, is is got to die at the end. Uh, so he gets in a diving suit to deploy the oxygen destroyer. And Ogata goes with him, of course. Yep. Uh, and kind of just it's it's almost the one time Godzilla's kind of cute, just sleeping at the bottom of the harbor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's kind of weird because like this is like the we, we saw that last big swath of destruction and Godzilla doesn't do anything after that point because Godzilla just sort of starts to wake up when this happens. But that's it. Yeah, because the oxygen destroyer works. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ogata gets reeled back up. Sarazawa does not. He stays below to and cuts his line. He's like, I, I wish you and uh, Emiko happiness. <sighs> and, <laughs> hmm. the, the big heavy self-sacrifice, of course. Uh, and just the devastation of the oxygen destroyer. We see Godzilla disintegrated down into a skeleton. Yep. And, and then the skeleton gets disintegrated and blown away too. Yeah. Oh wow! Like <laughs> yeah, what a thing. Intense. Now I think in one of the newer movies, uh, like maybe one of the American ones, the hmm. oxygen destroyer comes up again because I recall talking. hearing, I recall thinking, like when I watched this, I was like, oxygen destroyer. Where have I heard that before? Yeah, that might have been in one of these two new ones. Uh, I think it might have been, but like I don't... both of them, I only saw in theater with you, so I don't, I, I don't know further than that because it's so long ago. Wait, so did I see the second one? I must, I don't remember the second one. I just remember. I'm the pretty sure. First Didn't one. Didn't we? 
I, we might have. We must we have. It's Tony at the Odeon. I'm like 99% sure. You're probably. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Because there was like the three headed dragon thing in that one. Yeah, it had Ghidra. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that one I was, was just. Good. I like that. I just remember the first one because it was going to have. It was supposed to have Brian Cranston, and then he died 10 minutes in, and then we had generic military guy who wasn't Mark Wahlberg, but he might as well have been Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I don't remember. Taylor Kitsch? Something like that. I don't know who that is. Mark Wahlberg. But yeah, it was... <laughs> Generic important. military guy is Mark Wahlberg in my mind. <laughs> I, I've been meaning to revisit it eventually because I didn't dislike it. It just... There was... It, it was not quite what I was expecting and it just felt kind of blah for a long section of it. Although I remember the, all of the Godzilla stuff itself to be pretty satisfying. This one's but better. Not this, this is obviously an incredibly better movie. This movie is I mean, a masterpiece. This movie, like, I, I'm going to say that this movie is an actual, like, like artistic masterpiece. Yes, absolutely. Like, um, it's it's uh, very... I recommend it to anyone, but it's 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 a heavy watch, and, and you're not expecting that, but it is a... Be ready for, like, real upsetting war imagery. Yeah, it's it's deep. Uh, and I, I would say, so... As as we're talking about the franchise from here, uh, theories on subsequent Godzilla. We, we were already saying so. There's the cave where potential other Godzillas exist. Uh, at the beginning of the next movie, Godzilla raids again, which this is replaced in or is replacing this in the stacks, of course. Uh-huh. Uh, there the, there's another Godzilla who is just uh, unfrozen from an iceberg. And Siskel and Ebert have to stop him. <laughs> oh. Oh. Or, or Matthew, no, that's a lot of fish. That one's so bad. Uh, I saw that one in theater too. Same. <laughs> and then we saw the um, or the riff tracks in theater. I think one time. Oh that was yeah, good. that's right. Yeah, Man, I see Godzilla in theater. Like the bad Godzillas in theater. Um, well, they don't. I was yeah, gonna we, say they don't really don't... make good ones anymore. <laughs> They sort of do. They do. I, I've well, seen some of the Japanese ones, but they don't play in theaters here. I want to see a modern take on this type of Godzilla movie. Yeah. Uh, Shin Godzilla is really interesting as a variation on that because it does sort of the same thing where it's taking that same kind of anxiety, except it's specifically talking about Fukushima. So it's like a post-Fukushima oh. version, Shin Godzilla. Oh. We'll totally have to watch that sometime. It's very interesting yes. as well. And it's about the bureaucracy in the government in trying to deal with it more than anything else. Like Godzilla is kind of just this weird parallel thing happening. That's just this sense, this mindless piece of destructive, uh, this destructive beast. It, it's very weird because it sort of evolves through a bunch of different forms in that one. Hmm. Strange movie. <laughs> I think Shin Godzilla was directed by the guy who did Evangelion, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. That's correct. And it has some very Evangelion designs in it, too. Oh, boy. Okay. Well, that's that sounds like exactly the one that I want, but I got to get I got to prepare myself. <laughs> yeah, it it's not as heavy. It's sort of much more about just weird bureaucracy, but it, it is certainly very heavy at times and it's quite interesting. Uh, but so with this. We know also that there is a son of Godzilla who appears, I don't know, like 10 years down the line. <laughs> Sorry, but I'm I'm picturing like 
son of Godzilla, and I'm just picturing the teenage boy from Dinosaurs. <laughs> Sadly, much lamer. Uh, it's, oh, it's no, Minya. really? Sorry? Like, Minya, or Minilla, right? But it's it's Minya yeah. is how it's pronounced. Uh, and it sort of looks like a really tiny, misformed Godzilla. <laughs> like, picture Yongri, but kind of chubbier and with, like, sillier face. And, like, <laughs> blows Cheerios. Like, ch- Cheerio-shaped uh, waves of, like, sound. <laughs> Very <Okay>. lame. <laughs> but, right. so, if we're to consider that th- this is the original Godzilla, and we kind of consider this to be the Godzilla, so is the main Godzilla of the rest of the series the mate of the original Godzilla? Could be. Could be. And that being the case, if it's the the child appearing several years later, the main Godzilla of the series is then female, correct? And this is the male of the species who needs to be destroyed. Right, because in... Oh, you know, that makes sense, too, because in nature, um, the female tends to be the bigger and stronger one sometimes. Not always, but sometimes with a lot of species. Yeah. And, and I definitely think that Godzilla has been bigger than this one. This oh, one yeah. didn't need to be bigger. Yeah, this one's just really aggro. <laughs> yeah, fuck. <laughs> yeah, uh, such a great movie. Really, truly a masterpiece, uh, and especially if you watch the original Japanese version, which you should. The, the American version is interesting. I, I do kind of recommend it as a curio, just to have all of these sequences of Raymond Burr just kind of commenting on what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't ready for how both good and how just quiet and somber the movie yeah, is. very like, somber. It's, it's quiet, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you have the stirring score at times, but a lot of the time the score itself is also very somber. It's, it's very filled with dread. Uh-huh. Cool and, stuff. Oh, that's really good. Super good. I love uh, how all the kaiju movies that we've covered have been completely different from one another. Yeah, like, there's like, a lot of range in the genre. Like, there are different genres of kaiju films. They're each a different genre of movie that has a giant monster in it. And I think that's fascinating because I never really – I didn't think there'd be so much range. I just thought it was like, oh, haha, silly suit, man suit, rubber, building fall down. <laughs> but there's so much more to it going on. I want to see I want to see more of these. I want to see what other concepts there can be. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of really interesting stuff. Like even just the Gamera series and Godzilla series on their own have so many weird detours within them like there's strange children's movies there's like uh there's the reboot of the gamera series where they did gamera serious in the 90s and it's really good oh yeah okay interesting stuff all, all over the place all right uh so uh ready to move on into part two or any last thoughts on godzilla 1954 yeah it's a lot of fish <laughs> no <laughs> that movie's so bad like the that Godzilla must thing, be their dog 
it it's it's so gross looking. I really don't like that Godzilla. <laughs> like just the way it looks is very nasty to me. Also, it changes like shape and size constantly throughout the movie. So I feel like I, I, it's it's explained in one of the later movies and they destroy it in one of like the later Japanese movies. I don't remember how they shape it up to be, though. <laughs> All right. Uh, heading on into part two. All right. And in part two, we're going to be talking about the great early uh, Christmas slasher movie, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Uh, but first, uh, briefly, we we also watched a couple other movies this weekend: Heavy Trip and Death Machines. Heavy Trip, Heavy Trip rules. It's a it's a comedy about a what is it a Finnish or something or a Swedish Finnish uh, Finnish yeah black metal band death metal um, death metal oh gosh or like it's extremely complicated uh, they they have a, metal uh, it's metal yeah. I don't know what it is people. I will get it wrong. Uh, there are, there's this whole. It is very complicated, and I am not an expert. But yeah, they. It's it's a really great comedy about these four guys who start their little Finnish metal band, and they want to go to a festival in Norway. Well, they just want to hit it big, and they think they have a line on a gig to go to a festival in Norway because this one guy who's a festival coordinator just stops at their slaughterhouse that they work at. Their reindeer slaughterhouse. To buy a bucket of reindeer blood. It's a Christmas movie. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) So one thing leads to another, and and they – first, the whole town – like, the one guy – it's, it's the classic thing of the rumor spinning out of control where the guy's like, hey, we might have a gig. <gasps> you have a gig in the festival in Norway? Guys, they have a gig in the festival in Norway. Uh, uh, and then the entire yeah. town. And it's got and now the whole thing is them like trying to get to this festival because, you know, they. Have to, you just kind of got to do it. You got to you got to do the festival, but there's all these ridiculous people getting in the way. Like this other singer, who's uh, another like hometown hero, who's this guy's a character. This guy is great. Cheesy <laughs> and, lounge singer guy. And he has this van with a picture of his face on it. That's <laughs> man, they that use that van in, so well. The cinematography around the van is so good because the van itself is a punchline several times throughout the. Uh, well, like just the, the his face on the van following his real face, just it, it happens a few times as a button and is always really funny. It works so good. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's one where he does the like I'm watching you thing where he points his eyes and, <laughs> oh, and yeah. then the camera just pans like as he's got his like grimacing face on the camera pans to the face like the big smiling face on the side of the van yeah. which of course has a star around it because he is a star and oh, so funny and, yeah their metal band is well this one guy will explain exactly what genre the metal band is but oh my god i did I, didn't write it's it down. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a whole spiel, and most people get it wrong in the movie. 
even when they finally do uh, get announced somewhere. Yeah, so well, spoiler alert, they, they, get, they get their metal show in the most metal way imaginable. It's so great. There, there's yeah. lots of fun references to classic metal album covers and just a lot of just direct references to songs. Like when, when they're first trying to come up with their song, there's the one guy who can recognize any riff. So the guy's playing just a whole bunch of random riffs and he can just pick out some random obscure track that they're from this is getting more and more obscure each time great yeah and then he just at one point he just bashes on the guitar and is like no this is from you can still recognize it yeah (laughs) yeah and then he gets an original sound by listening to a reindeer get stuck in the grinder and they're like this is our sound this is our sound so much fun it's a it's such a good movie i really recommend it it's uh not super well known yet it has a lot of heart, actually. Yeah. Like it's really genuine and sincere. These metal guys are not bad guys at all. They're they're really nice guys. They're real uh, sweet. They hearts. are the good guys. Like and, sure. yeah, it's just it's kind of a sweet hometown movie. Yeah. It's like getting out of your small town and doing something kind of movie. And it's also hilarious. It's very funny. It's really funny. Uh, and the other one we watched is Death Machines, which is <laughs> some. Real hot trash that I absolutely adore. Now you'll see the machine is in my control. <laughs> um, this this okay, one so lady. B- some context. Uh, I'm not just being racist. This is the lady in the movie is being racist. It's a very. It's a strange performance. It's it's like, is she Unique. white? I don't know. Because <laughs> she's. She's doing an accent. She's doing. And she has an Asian like, accent. I think but she not... might have a German accent herself or something. And she kind of sounds like Baba Wawa most of the time. Barbara Walters. Oh, 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 okay. Oh my god, she totally does. Yeah. Um so she's like the head of like an assassin guild. Oh well, she's not the real head. There's a shadowy figure, <laughs> the some... actual head, who, as far as we can tell, he's a muppet. Yeah, he's just this shadowy guy who they report to sometimes. But like, her what? guys are robots. They're indestructible. I thought they were undead. They might be zombies. It's not I think it's really all of clear. Those it's not really clear. They are indestructible. They're bulletproof um they are really good at killing uh there's a bargain basement burt reynolds <laughs> there, there's this whole thing where they're sent to knock over a karate school for no apparent reason just some shitty karate school and they just massacre everyone in there yeah it's like make sure there's no witnesses which the guy doesn't take to mean make sure that nobody sees you do it it's make sure that everyone who sees you do it dies <laughs> but they leave one guy alive although they chop off his arm and he's sort of the hero of the movie from that point <laughs> like kind of. mostly he just mopes around and then he follows them home and leads the police to them <laughs> but yeah there's not it's... really any heroes uh this one guy looks like his face like he looks like he's always about to cry and there's this really wussy biker gang leader trying to pick a fight with him trying oh, yeah. really hard to pick a fight with him like in just like some is, tiny and restaurant it, and there's that weird like old guy yeah the, the old guy's trying to like recruit him into his church 
the the robot zombie i should say <laughs> yeah weird movie <laughs> just per- perpetually strange it really it's like super low budget it's like this weird regional fresno california kung fu zombie crime thing i don't know what it is it's it's a bizarre concoction was this the movie where like the old guy starts a bar fight and kicks the crap out of everybody yeah like this this is <laughs> at at this guy's bar like the guy who loses the arm he he's oh, like right. he the ends bartender up there as a bartender and yeah. this old guy just starts a bar fight and beats the shit out of everybody it's like you're like a drunken old man with like an Ernest Hemingway hat yeah and he just trashes the whole place like even this this random old guy could do it. Of course he couldn't defend himself against, you know, four ninja robot assassins. Yeah, yeah. It's a strange um, thing, but, like, I love this movie. And this we were watching the Vinegar Syndrome disc. I don't know if there's many other ways to see it lately. I think it's probably in, on, in like, cheap SD form in a lot of those Mill Creek sets. Like, they, those, these big 50 movie sets that they do. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, but the, the vinegar syndrome transfer is unbelievable for a movie of this caliber because <laughs> it, it looks insanely <laughs> <more> good. <laughs> I know it doesn't. It makes it look like the budget was a hundred times more than it probably was. It's just such a perfect transfer, and like I like this is the movie. Like this disc specifically is what got me into collecting vinegar syndrome releases because I watched it and like. I've never seen something so bad look this good. And it just like, it kind of blew my mind. Uh, So our main second movie that we want to talk about is Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, I love this. This is my second favorite slasher movie and like definitely my favorite Christmas horror movie. Just such a banger. (laughs) I was <laughs> I was into it like from the opening credits before right the anything even showed on the screen. Something about like the music and the logo just was like, okay, I'm into this. I totally dig the score for this. I do have it on CD. Uh, it it just really jams. Uh, cool use of just weird horror synth mixed with kind of folky Christmas music and just like all these kind variations of. on Christmas themes. Uh, and it spends so much time on the psychology of the character, which is so that's unusual. The thing that, yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing that I found fascinating. I, like everything that happened in the first twenty minutes, I was like, oh, oh, this is gonna turn the, oh, he's gonna have issues from the, oh, he's gonna turn into a serial, oh, he's yeah. gonna be a serial killer. Yeah, it, it's it really puts in the footwork to be like this guy wears a santa suit and kills people and we're going to show you exactly why he does specifically those things it's like 40 minutes for origin story before we get to the slasher movie it's amazing yeah yeah about half of it is origin story and i don't think it would work without that no it would be ridiculous (laughs) it's like the uh, the anti-michael myers yeah, although I feel I think Rob Zombie's Halloween or Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 basically has the same structure. One of them does, where it's mostly origin story before anything else. But I hate those movies. <laughs> I don't think I've seen them. 
I never cared for them. Like I'll I'll certainly revisit them again after I next rewatch all the Halloween movies, but I found them to be extremely obnoxious. Hmm. I'm just not a fan of uh, Rob Zombie as a filmmaker other than House of a Thousand Corpses. I just found everything after that to be kind of just dingy and unpleasant. Yeah, fair enough. Fair but enough. it's a very specific style. Like, I get why people who like him like all of his stuff or like a lot of his stuff, because it's very distinct. He True. he has a flavor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. And this could maybe be an interesting project for him to reboot. Oh, uh, a Rob Zombie Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, that I could maybe see. That would be interesting, because this movie kind of has the groundwork for that kind of gruesomeness. Uh, so we open with, uh, our hero, Billy, or our protagonist in a weird sort of way, ultimate slasher, Billy, uh, as a small child visiting his grandpa in, uh, a care home. Yep. Um, so grandpa has, you know, I guess, I guess he has Alzheimer's or something. He like, his whole thing is he doesn't really, he doesn't know that they're there, um, he seems borderline catatonic. Like they, yeah. they, they're very surprised when they hear that he spoke to Billy later. Which, you know, for wouldn't you keep someone like that in a bed normally? I don't know procedure. I don't know. Yeah, but he's he's just sort of staring at the wall. But as soon as the parents leave, he starts to go, starts to freak Billy out about Santa being actually a terrifying killer who's going to punish him. Ah, Billy, have you been good? Have you been naughty? If you've been naughty even once, you have to be good all year. Even once, Santa will punish you. And he's really intense. It's this very intense performance. Yeah, tears are coming out of his eyes. He's like, do you know what Santa does? (laughs) It's It's crazy. I wonder if this guy had something like this happen to him. I don't know. Like what happens to Billy and then what Billy does. And maybe that's why he's catatonic. Because like there's a whole series of these movies. There's five of these movies with multiple different slasher guys as the (laughs) Santa. And one of them... Uh, one of them's into garbage day. Yeah, that's the next one. That's that's little brother who's in this this one as well. That's uh, oh, that's Ricky. That's Ricky. Uh, he we we see him uh, in this sequence. He's like that's why uh, the parents aren't there. They went to go change the baby or something. Right, yeah, because he's a baby in this. Yeah, he's just the baby in the back seat when they're driving away and so this is intercut with a scene of this guy in a santa suit robbing a convenience store this guy is way too quick to pull the trigger he he murders a convenience store guy well he murders a convenience store guy quote unquote self-defense i mean it's more of a rittenhouse self-defense it's basically like he is uh, he's a spree killer essentially like we have two different killer santas in this movie and, like, I, I don't know how long this guy's been on a spree, but, like, at this point, he's leaning into it, and he's going on a killing spree. Yeah. Uh, at first, I kind of just got the feeling that he was just trying to rob the right. thing, and, and you know, he killed the guy because the guy pulled a gun on him. But no, no, um, later actions. Yeah, this well, guy's shortly. 
basically yeah. next thing we see. Next thing uh, we see him do. Yeah, yeah. This guy's a this guy's a psycho. He's a killer. He's a serial yeah. killer. So or like, a spree killer at least. Yeah, some some something's going on here. Uh, and so the the family leaves Grandpa behind, and Billy's pretty freaked out now about Santa, uh, because it's like, well, Grandpa said some really terrible stuff about Santa. Like, Grandpa spoke to you? And they're all like, oh my God, Grandpa spoke. And meanwhile, the kid's traumatized, and nobody and they, seems to acknowledge just how fucked up this kid is, except yeah, for they, one person. Yeah, and they don't quite get that he's terrified of Santa because he does fall asleep after a bit. But then they're, you know, going down the road and they see this car pulled over and it's a guy. It's our Santa who we, you know, our, our spree killer Santa uh, who has had car trouble. Or, you know, quote or is just lying in wait for them. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't have car trouble. I mean, it is possible that, like, he wanted to carjack them and steal their car. He he may have, like, busted up the car that he was driving or something. Now, but the trouble with this car is that the cops knew to look for it. That could also be it. That's car uh, trouble. Yeah. But whatever the case, they pull over and they're like, look, Billy, it's Santa. And he's like, no, don't stop for Santa. No. Uh, and yeah. he's right. He is very right, as it turns out, because uh, it's a very brutal scene. Uh, Santa just lays waste to them. Now, did you watch the unrated version or the theatrical? The unrated. So did I. OK. Yeah. All right. And there's there's a few scenes where you can tell which ones were left out of the theatrical release. Yeah. Like uh, they, they do look a little rougher, but it's pretty impressive. Uh, in oh, terms no. Of it's good. Uh, we, I, yeah, I should mention we're watching the Shout Factory deluxe set from a couple years back. Uh, and it, it has both the unrated and the theatrical cut. Uh, and so in this sequence, first, uh, he shoots the dad in the head, like straight up. Yeah, and I guess the dad had put the car into reverse and the car just goes backwards into a ditch. Yeah. And uh, the mother... Uh, I guess he either she runs or he pulls her out of the cars. No, Billy runs. Billy runs. The, and and he's hiding in the ditch in on the, the other car side. Seat, um, like uh, Billy runs, and the and the killer gets the mother and put throws her down the road to rape her right there. And Billy while Billy watches, is watching, yeah, while Billy's watching, this is another. Another uh, another ingredient in the serial killer stew. I was going to say a defining moment, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's it's both of these things. Yes. Uh, yeah. So she or the, the killer ends up cutting her throat wide open mm-hmm. and then starts chasing after Billy into the bushes. Um, why doesn't he get Billy? I don't remember what ends up happening there don't know he he just he uh the the whatever happens like the the police catch him or somehow uh billy and ricky are left in or or end up in an orphanage a catholic orphanage a very the kind with a a mother superior the kind i figure in my mind it's the exact same orphanage that the two little girls from uh, don't deliver us 
from evil went to despite not being french and despite that not being an orphanage (laughs) right well like you know very repressive atmosphere and this mother superior is a real piece of work she yeah oh yeah not a fan really not a fan of this lady uh and she's terrible I, I think the big fan complaint about this movie and sort of the reason for the second movie existing is that, spoiler she does not get hers in this one. She gets nothing. No. She, we see her, like, we see her later on. She's in a wheelchair, but that's just from old. Yeah. She she does not get any of comeuppance, and she needs it. No, she's the the biggest villain of this movie, arguably. She's the reason the villain exists. Yeah, well, she and Spree Killer Santa, I mean, both well, of them are pretty awful. But th- awful in different ways, but, you know, contributors yeah. to the same problem. Uh, yeah. But, like, she's she hates Billy. She just fucking hates this kid. <laughs> oh, she despises this kid because... Uh, because he always gets like a little weird around Christmas and it's like, um, dude, did, did you guys not read his file? His parents were murdered by Santa in front of his eyes. Yeah. Like he has pretty like, good reason to be drawing these pictures of Santa that all dismembered. And that those are his Christmas pictures. And like, you know what? Just don't make him draw happy pictures of Santa. Let him just do something else. Yeah. Maybe, maybe don't make him draw Santa Claus, but he's got to conform. You could have him draw Jesus. <laughs> You'd think. Yeah. Um, one thing that that I noticed was that's kind of a common thing that running through this movie that nobody ever really talks about is the kids are only treated as being good when they're quiet. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what causes them to be quiet, whether it's horrible, traumatic stuff, um, threats of violence or whatever. As long as they're quiet, they're good. Who the fuck cares what's going on inside their head? Yeah. And that is, well, I would I say that it's not really addressed. I mean, it's the reason we have a killer. Oh, yeah. So. It's it's a movie kind of very much about child psychology and the, the way that it contributes to warped adulthood. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's hard to see our guy as just an evil Santa serial killer with all this stuff going on. Yeah, he's kind of empathetic up until the point. Like he he's extremely empathetic up until the point he starts killing people. Even there, you know that like his mind is just kind of been destroyed. He he's been he he's somehow been put in the exact set of circumstances that would cause him to blow up this way. Yeah, and he's got He's got his own Dr. Loomis in Sister Margaret, probably, as her I think it's Sister Margaret. It's always a Mary or a Margaret. It's something like that. And she is very Uh, nice. She is the one who's always been supportive of him throughout his childhood. Yeah. And and she's the one who's all like, Mother Superior, maybe don't um, be such a bitch to this kid. Uh, He's been through a lot. Have you read his file? (laughs) His parents were murdered before in front of his eyes by a santa claus and she's like well his little brother ricky is fine and like ricky was a baby he was an infant (laughs) yeah and also i hate her no she's awful she's pure evil and like again it's it's basically why two exists is so that she can get some comeuppance in the second one (laughs) 
Because, like, like, almost the entirety of part two is clips from part one. Like, half of the movie, literally, like, 40 minutes of it. Oh, jeez. Like, there's this (laughs) one scene. Everyone's just opening their presents and having a blast. And it's Christmas morning, right? And they're children. Yeah. And you get a lot of children together for Christmas. And it's, it's, you know, it's going to be... Messy and it's loud. Yep. And, and Mother Superior just walks by and she's looking at the kids. She's like, huh, I see nothing but greed where there should be gratitude. <laughs> and that's They're all orphans. you need to know about this woman. They're orphans. This is the first hint of love some of these children have received in their lives. Yeah, it's it's she is just such an awful bitch. <laughs> She's just so nasty through the whole movie. And, and Sister Margaret calls her out on it constantly, and she's like, no, stop telling me how to be good. I'm trying to be evil. Right, and so... I'm trying to make monsters, serial killers. This is a serial killer factory. Yeah, like, so specifically it starts to get tied up with sexuality as well, because we have this other sequence where he is going out to do something, and he happens to hear a noise, and he finds one of the nuns sleeping with uh, some worker. Some, yeah, I don't know. Some, some dude. dude. Yeah. And, and he's peeking through the keyhole because he's just trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, so, and then Mother Superior comes storming in and she's she's scarier than Santa, honestly, than evil Santa. Yeah, and like, at him as like the slasher Santa is a combination of her and spree killer santa like he just becomes the two of them merged together this is the persona he takes on because those are what has been demonstrated to him as uh modes of authority yep and and like mother superior little literally breaks into the room uh grabs the guy's pants from off the floor and pulls the belt out and starts starts whooping him whooping him and it's like punishment naughty naughty punishment and punishment then, is absolute. And then later she has a conversation with Billy like, do you know what you saw in there? No. No. Good. Good. What was in there was nasty and evil and naughty and must be punished. Yes. Puni- yeah. What was it? Punishment is absolute. Punishment is good. Yeah. Um, Which yeah. is what he is saying later on when he's attacking people is you know he's this is punishment this is the punishment that is absolute that he must meet out because now he is santa the arbiter of punishment (laughs) yeah so fast forward ahead 10 more years he's 18 now and he's hot oh he's yeah he's hot um and he's all built up (laughs) sister margaret gets him a job in the stock room of a toy store I love this toy store. Oh, man, this toy store is everything I love and hate about work. (laughs) Like, yeah, you have the boss who every time we see him, he seems like a nice guy, but he's probably a bit of a slave driver. But you don't see that side of him. He just seems he seems pretty sweet, but he also seems like he's a drunk. And he's kind of definitely a drunk. You have the other guy in the stockroom who does nothing. The middle manager never, prick. He is never seen doing a work. And he is such a dick to uh, Billy all the time. 
He's such oh, a yeah. pain in the ass. You know, he's a middle manager. He's got nothing else to do. <laughs> he doesn't have a job. He just gets paid. He doesn't yeah, have a job. Complete piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we have this whole montage of uh, Billy doing good at work and like straightening up a display after he's clocked out of the manager with his little bow tie, giving him a thumbs up. And we, and we get on the warm side of the door. <laughs> and it's like uh, Billy's adjusted himself well to society after all that shit of his entire life. And then it starts slowly creeping towards Christmas and he starts to deteriorate like because he's really in the thick of Christmas by being in a toy store. Oh, yeah. Like like they have the Santa guy with the kids. Yeah, And he uh, does not like that. He He's no. very happy to be in the stock room away from Santa. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he sees he sees the Santa. He kind of freaks out. So. Whatever so, like, you should. Yeah, the jerkwad in the back room is, like, causing him beef about it. That, that he, like, yeah, he's like, you've been doing a shit job ever since Christmas came around. It's like, we just had a montage of him doing a good job. We have not seen him do anything crappy. Yeah, but, you know, he, this is his asshole job. You know, he, he yeah. his job is to be a dick to him. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. And that's why, that's why I hate this man so much. <laughs> exactly. We've all worked with a guy like this. Oh, yeah. He didn't even, you know what? He, he, I'm so glad he got his. He didn't even freaking move any boxes. I know. Fuck that guy. What a wad. Fuck that guy. But, like, ultimately, we have to maneuver Billy into a position of being dressed as Santa. So as it gets really close to Christmas, their Santa doesn't show up. Yep. So they want to get, so the lady wants to get the store manager to do it, which, much better choice. Yeah, ultimately. Although like he looks like a Santa, he has the to be He's kind of a chubby he's guy. He's basically a Santa anyway, he's almost. Sort of jolly. A little bit. Jolly. He could pull it off. But no, we got to get the young hot but hunk I think, into it. I think he runs the till. Like the two of them are the like the ones who run the till and Billy does not. Billy is a stockroom guy. So I think And Billy just didn't big. want to do it. Yeah, it could be that too. Uh but yeah, so Billy ultimately has to replace Santa. Uh, and just the the first sequence of him as Santa is always so funny to me because there's this girl on his lap who, I don't know if it's the acting or what it is that they, they don't know how to make her just like be annoying. So it's like she's on Santa the ride. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I think maybe she's not being annoying and he's just being mother superior. Well, it's, it's, it's like she's not being too. quiet enough. But like she is just like, yeah, yeah, she is just like going on a trip. <laughs> so he she's basically, kicking and going, but yeah, like he starts yelling. He at starts, her, he's like, stop. Stop, stop you it. need to stop you're being naughty you if know what happens to Santa kids. will punish you <laughs> and, and she stops and everyone's like oh wow he's so good with children because <laughs> he terrified and, her and the child like runs behind her mother's leg and everyone's like wow this is the best santa ever and that's when i was like hmm, there yeah. is a message in this movie there, there are some themes here yeah about you know trauma and and that sort of thing yeah and finally, you know, we get to Christmas Eve and it's the big Christmas party and 
he's never had alcohol before either. And everyone's right, drinking. because that's naughty. That's very naughty. Also, he's 18, and this is America. Yeah, and, you know, he's he's very hormonal. He's in a really volatile situation for him. You know, it's Christmas. It, this is the anniversary of the night his parents were murdered in front of him. And he's wearing the suit of the killer. Yeah, and things just kind of unravel very, very rapidly. Uh, Shitbag is uh, making out with the girl he has a crush on. Yeah. Um, and and here we get a fun scene later of the manager. We get a fun scene around here of the manager being like, now listen here. Uh-huh. Uh, hey, Santa, shouldn't it be time you'd be getting to work? It's it's oh. so it's like funny, but it's also really ominous because like, yeah, you, like know you know what Santa's Santa got us do, right? Like, better yeah, get to so. it. Oh, oh. I like, and I kind of feel like this kid. Everyone is like in the movie. They say Billy's not dumb. He's smart. No, Billy's dumb. Billy is uh, dumb. Billy's very dumb. And, and I think he just thought like, oh, I guess this is what I signed up for when I took the suit. <laughs> well, like to an extent, like as well, he is just kind of broken. Like his his mind. Oh is- yeah pretty wrecked at this point he's like well i guess this is what i'm supposed to do now and it, the the real breaking point is he goes into the back room where shitbag guy is trying to sexually assault uh the other girl yeah which in exactly the same way as the one that he walked in on and exactly the, and, and the mother yeah so he uh so he runs at them screaming naughty and, and grabs the guy and wraps him up in Christmas lights and strangles him. Strangles him with Christmas lights. We we get a good Christmassy kill. Yep. And then we get a regular kill of the girl. Yeah, it's like he it, it first almost seems like he's just trying to save her, but then I mean he's like, no, punish is punishment is absolute. Yep, and and she was naked. So yeah. that's you can't don't even, yeah. yeah. I mean, it doesn't like punishment doesn't need to relate to anything. It doesn't need to be just or fair. It It's absolute. Everyone is punished because they, they need to be punished. <laughs> because punishment is good. Yeah. And it's how you become a better person. And then, uh, you know. Unless you die. Right. So, of course, he's he kills these first two. I, I think he kills her with the box cutter. Is that quite yep. nasty? And then he heads out into the store again and goes after the boss first. Yeah, he gets the boss with a hammer. And then he chases the or stalks the, wife. the older lady for a while. Who's like the wife of the boss, I think. I think it's like I a literal her. mom and pop toy store. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and yeah, and he gets her ultimate, like he chases her around for a while and she evades him among the toys a few times, but then he gets her with uh, a crossbow. What the hell kind of toy store is this? 1982 toy store, I guess. Like, I guess. I, I, I feel mean, like this is just around the era where you could maybe still get lawn darts. I mean, my parents oh, had a set of lawn darts. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, you're right. Good point. But yeah, like, but, and I guess before we move off the, the Toy Story sequence, because this is now when he heads out into the world to uh, carry his punishment to the streets. I love the Toy Story and just this long sequence, because it's, it's like a solid like 25 minutes or so where he's just working in the Toy Store and everything's kind of building up. Mm-hmm. And just I love this location. I love seeing all of these toys from the 80s and like late 70s. Uh, you get a lot of just background of all of that stuff. It's so cool. Oh, yeah, just and then like ominous like shots of Santas and Nutcrackers, just like, yeah. spooky like. It's really oh, good. Yeah. There, there's that one part where uh, we see all of the Nutcrackers in a line after he shoots the lady with the crossbow. Uh, it cuts back to all of the nutcrackers and all of their jaws are like open wide in like a scream. Yeah, that was that. That's the exact shot I was thinking of. Yeah. And uh, that was cool. That's super cool. So now I guess his thing is to do what Santa does and just go door house to door. To house. Yeah. And uh, do what Santa does. Yeah. Which is punish. Punish. <laughs> punish. Maybe. Maybe give some gifts. Yeah, give a few gifts if you could find someone who's been completely good all year. I I really like both his his two lines, basically, the entire rest of the movie. I think he only has those two lines, punish and naughty. Naughty, punish. Oh, yeah, he he turns. He's he's just he's just messed. He's broken at this point. Oh, yeah. No, I guess he does talk to that one girl later, the little girl at one point. Yeah, he asked her. Right. Uh, yeah, but like so, so first house we have teenagers having sex when they're supposed to be babysitting they gotta uh, die yeah notably one of them is linnea quigley spider from sorority babes oh right okay uh she's the girl and they're making out on a pool table pool like, table yeah yep. and her sister is being annoying to them i.e wanting some sort of attention on christmas eve uh while they're babysitting her and also the cat wants in. So like they, they go, she goes upstairs to go deal with that. And uh, he stays behind listening to some really weird Christmas song. I don't really know. It's, it, it's there. There's this really ominous Christmas song that they play constantly throughout the movie in a bunch of different versions of like Santa's coming Santa's. Right. Yes. Yes. Santa's creeping. Is yeah. Part, one of the lyrics. It's just this whole weird verse about Santa's watching and he's coming and it's it's very ominous the more times you hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's listening to that and Linnea Quigley goes upstairs to, I guess, put the sister to bed, let the cat in. Yeah. And then he comes in or he busts through the door. Yeah, he she's just let the cat in and she's closing the door and he comes slamming through it. Like he cool. He coolly bends through that door. No, oh, yeah. he more like the shinings he's got an axe yeah he he comes just like pounding through it like it's nothing like he is really built up dude oh yeah he's a, he's a big dude but he also has movie slasher strength exactly he, he uh it's a very brutal death for linnea quigley uh, and oh, also kind yeah. of christmasy because she's of. impaled on antlers antlers a deer same speech, same family of animal. Yeah, it's kind of close. Uh, yeah. And th- this exact same kill is done in the ward, but not as well. 
I think it was the ward. There's some movie that I've watched recently that did the exact same kill, but poorly. Uh, but this it's it's gruesome. It's it's very authentic looking. It's oh, yeah. uh, quite you intense. You can see the antlers like poking as they poke through her Before stomach. Before they poke through. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very intense. It's, it's a really good gore effect. Yeah, it really is. And I think this is one of the scenes that was cut from the theatrical. Yes, very much so. <laughs> okay. uh, and then he goes and gets the bro- the the boyfriend tosses him out a window and he's got shards of glass all through him yeah and then the little girl the the sister comes up and is like have you been good all year yes <laughs> and like while he's talking to her he's pulling out his box cutter with the blood on it from you know when when he murdered from... the girl in the toy store yep uh, and he's just keeps asking her, like, have you been good? Have you been Are naughty? You sure you've been totally good? It's like, yes, Santa. She's very cute. Oh, yeah. So. And she is convincing. So he yeah. gives her the box cutter as a present. And just this. The bloody box cutter. It's and, still got wet blood on it. Yeah. I, I It's one of my favorite shots in the movie of just him having walked away and just her looking at this box cutter. <laughs> in in the, her hallway like huh what a thing yeah like what am i going to do with this and meanwhile the the nun has come to the toy store and happened upon the devastations so there's an apb out for a killer santa claus oh but the apb is so dumb okay so this is something that i <laughs> uh, so another stupid. way to contrast between uh, why Halloween is the greatest slasher and why this works, but it's, it's a little bit below. Yeah. It's it. Cause in Halloween, uh, one of the whole things of is like, Oh, well we got to warn the whole town. And Loomis is like, no, cause if you do that, your men are going to start seeing Michael Myers on every street corner because it's Halloween. Everyone's going to be wearing a mask. Yeah. The APB and, is literal shoot-to-kill orders on a Santa Claus <laughs> Which, on Christmas Day. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Christmas yeah. Eve and Christmas Day. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a big um, problem. So the exact thing that you think is going to happen does happen. Yeah, the although there's a couple different. Doctor, yeah. yeah, but it's the well, exact thing Loomis was worried about. To be fair, Halloween 2, that also happens. Well... <laughs> they, 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 I, I would they, say they didn't have Dr. Loomis, but I, I guess they probably did, didn't they? They did. Uh, they they just like ignored him, and they they went with it the next night. Oh well, you know, at least at least he tries. These, these guys didn't even tried. have a Dr. Loomis. No. Uh, well, she she came to them, right? If, if yep. she's the Dr. Loomis, like she came to them, like we we gotta go after this guy. He's gonna be dressed as Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, because. Oh, yeah, because she found out from Dick Bag that he was wasn't in the stockroom and that he was dressed as Santa. And she's like, right. oh, fuck, it's like, because oh, this is the nun, of trouble. course, who understands what he's been going through. Right. The 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 Dr. Loomis who hasn't given up yet. Yeah, totally. Uh, so. But, sorry, go ahead. Uh, which, you know, to be fair, because like the kid's not pure evil, he's just a really fucked up kid who's you know went through the serial killer factory 
yeah, he, he's been turned into a serial killer through just a, an array of experiences. Uh, yeah. Very specific experiences, unique to him. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so we see the police arresting, like, Santa's just, uh, people going, like, uh, the this guy is climbing up a ladder to go into his daughter's window to surprise her as Santa. Yeah, yeah, so they, they're all... They like barge into the house, don't even say anything to the wife. They run upstairs and almost shoot the guy. Yeah, and, in front of his kid on Christmas Eve, which was created kid wakes another up one of like, these. Yeah, the kid wakes up and is like, Daddy! And, and he pulls down his beard, and they're like, Oh. It's like, well, good thing we didn't shoot you. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's definitely learn from this lesson and uh, check our Santas before we shoot them. No, they don't do that. They don't. Well, I mean. Lesson proximity uh but like so we we get a couple more kills here right or do I, we I next get him i think i can't I think remember we head to the morning now do we yeah i think we go to the morning, morning where they figure out he's going to go to the orphanage right um to kill who the who the fuck else well probably to go after mother superior exactly yeah. Who's like who the fuck else? Right. And well, anyone else who happens to be naughty, but no, it's 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 her. Yeah, and this is in I think Utah, and there's just like a huge distance. Like the the orphanage is way the hell out of town. Oh, yeah. It's a it's... really long drive for the police to get there. Mm-hmm. He's been walking. Yeah, and he's just been walking, and and so they they send the police out to get there, and when the cops they get... get there first, but they they see Santa. Yeah, they see someone dressed oh. as Santa heading for the place. Yep. And and they and they call a warning and he just keeps going, so they fucking shoot him down in front of all of the orphans who he was going to deliver presents to. Turns out the Santa was Father O'Malley who's deaf as a post. Ooh. So the cops basically just like, well, he's a cop, so he gets a do-over. He gets to not just keep his job, but stay on this particular case to today. Well, he's still hanging around there waiting for the other guy to show up so that he he's can like, get... oh, yeah, he, his do over. Well, he doesn't get a do over. He gets fucking axed. <laughs> well, yeah, but he he shot an innocent man. It's OK. Yeah, he, no, he totally. was naughty. I he mean, he murdered a deaf naughty. priest dressed as Santa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, shot him it, down in front of a bunch can. of. A whole bunch of orphans. <laughs> a can. All cops are naughty. <laughs> it's brutal. Uh, uh, so so brutal. he he goes back to check the the back back shed, and that's where Billy gets him with the axe. And then and, Billy heads in as Santa. Oh, this is yeah, and like this is amazing because the kid lets him in. After Such this a whole... cute little girl. She's like yep. Cindy Lou Who in real life. Yeah, after Mother Superior said this whole thing to the cop, like, nobody's getting in without my thing. I'm Mother, I'm not sister, I'm Mother Superior. <laughs> and Don't forget the superior part. And she's like, don't, get get away from her, don't let him in. She's like, but Mother Superior, it's Santa. <laughs> and. <laughs> and I so love cute. this scene because he's because he's going for his axe and he's going to punish her, and she's saying with all the power of Christ 
the power of Christ compels you, but like with all that power, she's saying, there is no Santa. There is no Santa. Yeah. Like just this huge epic thing. Like, like this is going to reject the, the demon within him. And he gets shot in the back by the cops. Yep. He does not get his revenge on mother superior. Uh, but then we flash over to little brother, Ricky, who says, Naughty. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, but but we do get this uh sweet moment of Billy saying to the children, "You're safe now." Oh yeah. Santa, Santa is, is no dead. <laughs> yes, yeah, Santa's dead. You're safe now. Santa's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when the kid who, despite only probably being like a few years younger, is not close to being six foot tall and jacked and hot no. uh, very much a little kid does not look from the same family but you know he's got crazy eyebrows so i was yeah, like I is this gonna be the kid to be... from the second one he is yeah uh th- and, this and, is yeah. ricky uh, this is ricky who is yeah. still at the garbage the day uh yeah. the the famous garbage day meme uh this is him yeah so he, he yeah he points at mother superior and he's like Naughty. Naughty. And of course, in the sequel, he's gonna go after her. That's fine. She can she can bite it. It's all oh, right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh we yo we there are other kills. There's there a are scene other kills. with the toboggan. The toboggan scene, uh, oh yeah, the, these the guys grown sledding. ass kids or these grown ass uh, adults hide to like beat up these kids and take their sled and and he machetes one of them while he's sledding down the hill. Oh, man, yeah, the head so goes like flying. The, the head goes flying, and, like, the headless body is sledding down the hill, and his buddy's at the bottom, like, yeah, you can do it, as he sees. Oh, man, yeah, I, I knew we were forgetting something, because, like, I Go wanted ahead. to talk about this. Most of his victims are could be defined as evil by some standards, <laughs> Um, these guys are jerks. Oh yeah, these guys are dipshits. It's it's really funny when like the sled comes to the bottom and it's just like this headless torso just pumping blood geysers out of the top of the head, and the other guy <laughs> just starts screaming, and then of course Billy comes running at him with an axe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, just grown ass adults beating up children and stealing their sled. Like I'm okay with these guys getting killed. Yeah. What? What dicks. <laughs> but yeah, it's such a fun Christmas slasher movie. Like it, it gets a lot of flack and like, man, this was so heavily protested when it came out. It got pulled it's, from theaters. It's really good though. Like I like, love it. It has scary bits. Like anytime when like the scariest parts were like when he's a child and like you could hear the footsteps of Mother Superior coming. Yeah. Like it's scary but not he's not scary the shit that happens to him is scary yeah and like you know he he does like there are some very brutal kills that he does but at the same time he's not a fright he's not a figure of fright he's just sort of a figure of pity yeah yeah he's very tragic uh Mm -hmm. even though you know uh, he does a lot of horrible things, and he kills some people who uh, certainly do not deserve Don't, to be harmed. Yeah, yeah, like some of his victims, you know, 
were all right, I guess. Yeah, well, like the. I mean, the, the teenagers who had sex probably right. weren't. Oh, and yeah, the girl who her crime was being raped. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, gross. the toy store owner was just, you know, drunk. <laughs> this is a boss that the old yeah. lady, she did nothing. She she just worked with him. Yeah. Like he he definitely goes on a spree. But at the same time, he is a figure of pity. Like he is threatening. But he's more of a younger than a OG Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's um. sad. Well, he, at least he didn't shit out of yeah. blood when he died. Yeah, they they didn't just like cover him in ammonia when he was like on his way, and then he just like falls in a ditch or something. <laughs> that would have been a really undignified ending to this movie. Yeah, no, th- th- <laughs> this movie's great. Like, so good. It's so much like it's high energy. It's it, it's it's like melodrama where it needs to be like i just love that bit where it's like there is no santa there is no santa there is no santa and i love all the deep christmas aesthetic you get a lot of just real christmas imagery throughout yep. it, yeah it, it really is a christmas movie and it really is a horror movie oh yes oh yes on both counts like this i i understand why you now why you say that this is your second favorite slasher this might be mine too yeah, it's so much fun. And man, people hated it. People hated it so much. Like this was really heavily protested, like so much so that literally after two weeks, it was pulled from theaters and it was beating Nightmare on Elm Street at the box office at the time. Holy shit. But then it got pulled and they, they couldn't well, uh, continue to make money on it there. And then yeah. it just kind of had its afterlife on home video. And there are five movies after, or I think there's... Uh, I don't know if there are four or five sequels. The fifth one has Mickey Rooney in it. <laughs> and he right. was one of the people protesting this one when it came out. <laughs> like really <laughs> vociferously. Oh, no, uh, how times like, change. Yeah. What a jerk. <laughs> anyway, uh, that's Silent Night, Deadly Night. Two, uh, the first, not two. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Just one of the great slasher movies. One of the really interesting ones one of the weird outliers interesting things to say about mental health too um Mm -hmm. they don't most slashers don't go into it but this one this one does so this one is like this one's all about it feels like they did the work too yeah they didn't just throw some shit in it's like okay now he's a killer like you you see how he gets there yeah like some of it is certainly absurd but like if you are someone who has read a lot of true crime as we are you do see, the, like, yeah, these are all elements of the serial killer stew. You, you can sort of see how he developed this way. Yeah. Well, as soon as he was at the orphanage and yeah. met Mother Superior, before <laughs> she even did anything to him, I was like, oh. He's like, right. this is getting tied in with sexuality at a young age, and it's going to yeah. be a problem with a capital P. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. this this is, sadly, the type of thing that could happen. Yeah, it's a weirdly realistic slasher film, considering this is a Santa slasher movie. It's strange that it's one of the more realistic in the genre, in a really it's, weird and grungy sort of way. It's real. That's that's why I think it's so good. Mm-hmm. Like like they did the work. The mental health, like the people with mental health problems, they're not just 
shown on screen to be like, hey, laugh at this guy or hey, fear this guy. It's like, hey, try to understand this guy before we shoot him. Yeah, yeah it's it's just super it's, cool. It's really cool. And, and but yet it's still absurd and ridiculous. It's still heightened. This, this movie honestly does everything right. Yeah. Uh, just and punish, punish, punish. It just punish. echoes through my mind for like the the entirety of Christmas. Anytime the fact that he has no idea how to act like actual Santa and he doesn't even try. Yeah. Oh man, I, man, this this is gonna become a Christmas staple for me. I think. Heck yeah. <laughs> and we, we might have to do number two at some point. Oh, we have well. to do number two at some point. I, I so have to fun. see the. Oh, I yeah. have to know the context of the meme. It's good to put a little little bit of time in between because so much of it is just clips from this one, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> like a surprising amount. You, you will be shocked. <laughs> I, I've never <laughs> seen so little new movie in a movie other than uh, the Lady Street Fighter sequel where they just shuffled the scenes. <laughs> uh, that's uh, oh, that's another one that's on some of our lists, isn't it? Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, cat knocking things. All right. So, uh, ready to head on into part three or any final uh, thoughts? On? Yeah. Okay. And we're on into our third part, where we talk about movies we've watched in the past week. And decide what we're going to watch next week. Uh, I watched a handful of things. Let's see here. First up, Steel and Lace. Uh, I started getting my Vinegar Syndrome Black Friday stuff in. Uh, So in relation to this, I've started a new sort of floating stack. Because I've only got one shipment out of like, I don't know, maybe three or four. Uh, So I'm just going to let them all trickle in in one stack. (laughs) Right on. Uh, but uh, first of them I watched was Steel and Lace, which is the most obscure, weird, garbagey one of the bunch, of course. You know, that's what I got to gravitate toward. Uh, interesting title. Yeah, so this is sort of a, a weird twist on a rape revenge movie. Oh. Uh, this is produced by David Dakota, uh, who directed Sorority Babes. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, he didn't direct, but he produced and it does have a similar kind of sensibility kind of a zaniness uh it's like a rape revenge movie where it's like mixed with robocop slash inspector gadget (laughs) it's there's this rich yuppie and he's the rapist and he goes free because all of his friends uh testify that he was elsewhere with them when they in fact were all there with him okay uh, and the victim uh, commits suicide, but her brother is like uh, a top NASA engineer, and he brings her back as a cyborg to personally get revenge on him and all his friends. And it's sort of a slasher movie with her uh, as a robot getting uh, really bloody revenge on all of them. All right. It's really fun. Sounds I like, like it fun. a lot. Yeah. Uh, next up, Creature. Uh, also from the new uh, Vinegar Syndrome Black Friday ones. Uh, this one, it's it's a very obvious alien knockoff mm-hmm. uh, from a few years later, uh, but really low budget and really low light. So it's just 
dark all the time. It's based mostly in derelict spacecrafts, but pretty solid set design, like and very heavily inspired by Alien. It feels like very similar kind of world. Okay, cool. Uh, and the twist in this one is that the alien knockoff in this, uh, while it also kills people, it then controls them as zombies. Ooh, so, so it sounds kind of like like a zombie thing, like a zombie the thing thing. Yeah, kind of, totally. Uh, and and it's pretty cool. Like I I really dig the aesthetic. I I think it's really cool to see it all based in these derelict versions of the crafts from alien and you do have a very similar setup to all of that but it's just like they're on a planet but just like mostly deserted and it's just kind of eerie and and low light i dig it i'm still gonna say and i'll say this every time it comes up the ship Mm -hmm. from the first alien is the best horror setting or scariest horror setting that i can think of yeah i agree uh like perfect Every horror situation would be made a hundred times scarier if it was on that ship. Yeah, it, it's such a cool space. It's always really interesting to look at. Uh, and it's just so remote. It's terrifyingly remote from anything. You can't get saved from you can't get saved. Yeah. Like deal with the problem yourself or die. Yeah, exactly. Or deal with the problem yourself and die. Well, yeah, typically, because it's a horror movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next up, The Tomb of Ligeia, which is the Roger Corman, Vincent Price one uh, based on an Edgar Allan Poe story. Uh, Ah, yes. You were talking about this the other day. Yeah, his dead wife, uh, who's, I don't know, supremely evil for some reason, uh, comes back from the dead, sort of. Uh, He he says, like, she couldn't be dead anyways. Because she's that evil. Yeah. Uh, And like there's this whole really dramatic opening sequence where he's bringing her coffin into a consecrated cemetery. And the priest's like, no, you can't put her in here. This is consecrated ground. She can't be in here. And it's like, it doesn't matter. She'll never rest anyway. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, you should hear about my wife. (laughs) And she immediately comes back as a black cat to just pester him and uh, ruin any romance he might have. Uh, it's, I, I think all the cat stuff is really fun. And, you know, Vincent Price is always good. And in this one, he wears these really hilarious tiny sunglasses. <laughs> and there's there's also a really great bit where the, the sunglasses are on the floor and the cat steals them. And I thought that was great. Uh, but it's kind of, too serious for its own good because it's still really cheap it's still really cormony uh there's this burning barn sequence or well like there's at the end there's a the there's something burns down i think it's a castle or whatever so the main place burns down uh and they there's this burning barn footage that corman used in like 20 or 30 different movies i feel like (laughs) every time i see it it's like oh it's that same barn again it's like this movie is that cheap but it takes itself a little too seriously for being a movie about you know a ghost cat haunting a dude (laughs) it's like that shot uh in plan nine from outer space of just bella lugosi in the field with the cape just flapping his arms up and down they just 
go back to that no matter where it is. <laughs> I love it. Uh, uh, next up, Eyes of Laura Mars, uh, which is the first of the two Carpenter scripted movies that were not directed by him. Oh, okay. How is uh, that? It's pretty good. It's very stylish, and it does have a really giallo-esque uh, design and setup. You know, uh, high fashion New York. Uh, it, and it's this fashion photographer who periodically is getting these flashes of violent vision. So her fashion model photography starts to be really violent looking. And it it turns out she's seeing the through the eyes of killers uh, and specifically through the eyes of one specific killer. She every time he's stalking someone to murder them uh, who she's photographed, uh, she sees through his eyes and becomes totally blind in her own body. She only sees what he's seeing. Oh, interesting. It's pretty cool. It's very artsy and weird. It's a lot flabbier than it would have been if Cor- of, if uh, Carpenter himself had directed it, I feel. Uh, but it's good. It's really weird and interesting. And like Carpenter would not have been able to get Faye Dunaway and Tommy Lee Jones. I don't think he would have, no. And it's a really young Tommy Lee Jones, uh, which is just kind of cool to see. And t- what's really weird about the both of the uh, Carpenter scripted movies that he didn't direct star Tommy Lee Jones. Hmm. Both of them. <laughs> That's really weird. weird. Okay. <laughs> uh, next up is Toys Are Not For Children. Uh, this is another one that uh, we briefly talked about last week that was added. Uh, this is about this young woman who is just completely obsessed with her absent father. She was raised by an hysterically anti-sex mother. Oh boy, okay. Uh, because and like throughout her childhood, mom was always saying, "Well, daddy's with his whores. That's that's where he's gone." Uh, and just kind of all of her feelings of sexuality have become tied up in daddy and stuffed animals because, you know, when he was ever around, he gave her stuffed animals. Oh my. Okay. And so she's a newlywed and she can't be with her husband. She just can't go through with it. Uh, But ultimately she meets a sex worker and she just decides to get into that business because, you know, maybe that's where she can find her daddy. I mean, she'll, probably find a few daddies but i don't know if that's really anywho (laughs) yeah it's uh it's really it's really scuzzy it's really messed up but it's quite a thing (laughs) all right uh next up shiva baby uh also one that was added last week uh this is just like extreme extreme anxiety cringe comedy oh dear so it's this this girl danielle who's uh just in college and i i kind of guess doesn't really have any sort of major is sort of just not really doing much of anything is being supported by her parents and a sugar daddy uh, i hear plum oh, uh, into the mic <laughs> uh and so she she goes to a shiva uh, uh someone a sort of a distant relative that she didn't really know and she runs into her ex-girlfriend there, her high school ex-girlfriend, who she went to prom with and who is way more successful than her, uh-huh. uh, who's just started going to law school. Right. And then her sugar daddy shows up and 
also his wife that she didn't know he had and their baby which he really didn't know he had oh boy okay uh and just you know everything goes wrong and she has like kind of a a very complex ecosystem of lies uh reflecting a different persona for every person that she has to deal with and all of them are there in one room and uh Uh, Just everything is collapsing in on itself. Uh, So, like, very funny, very just super uncomfortable, but great and, like, extremely tight. Like, it's 77 minutes. Oh, nice. Uh, But, yeah, extremely claustrophobic. Great stuff. Cool. Uh, I keep thinking Shiva, like, um, Shiva is in the many-armed Hindu deity. Hindu god. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's, that's not this, is it? basically awake yeah. oh that's sort not of the, the same thing yeah it's it's like a, the the jewish version of awake oh, okay okay i'm yeah much less familiar with their traditions yeah not that i, I know like, a lot about hinduism anyway i'm not familiar with much of any religious traditions to be totally fair to be fair to be honest yeah uh, next up, The Village Detective, A Song Cycle. Uh, now, have I gotten you to watch um, Dawson City, Frozen Time? Maybe. The name rings a bell, but refresh my memory. What's that one? So it was a movie about this find of uh, old reels of film that were like sort of preserved in the permafrost of Dawson City uh, from like the early days of film when it was like a big boom town. Uh, and they just disposed of all of it by, like, dumping it in this pool and then filling it in. Uh, and then, like, when they demolished the building, all of this film just started coming up through the ground. Uh, but a lot of the movie is just, like, using footage through all of these film because, you know, it's all of this newsreel footage. There's lots of old oh, frontier so, westerns and stuff. Okay, so, so sorry, this isn't just, like, a premise of the film. This is a real thing? That, real thing. Like, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So it's a documentary, and it's just using all of this actual footage that, like, from these rare, silent, lost films. Wow. Uh, so you you have not seen that one then? That I don't think I have. This sounds fascinating, though. Yeah, one of my absolute favorite movies of the last few years. Oh, maybe it's longer ago than so that. So is but this like I, Gold Rush era, or? Yeah, yeah, Gold Rush oh, okay. is exactly when that one came out. Or where, or where all of the like the film footage is mainly from, because that's when it had the big uh, boomtown uh, uh, peak. Yeah. Like in the early days of cinema. So like up to around 1920 or something. And then they just kind of dumped it all. Hmm. That's OK. Uh, yeah, so I that's not this that. one. The, the, okay. That's a previous film by this director. I, I wasn't sure if I'd shown you that one before because totally love that one this is sort of like his big follow or not big but his modest follow-up film to it uh where uh, of a much more modest film find uh this icelandic fishing trawler turned up four reels of just this old soviet movie uh but like they they look it up and they they kind of figured out that it's a really common film you know the original film negative is easily available Uh, it's uh, well archived it's it was a popular movie uh, okay. from 1969 called The Village Detective about uh, this you know, meddling small town detective guy. Uh, and the the guy who's in it is this Mikhail Zherov, who is this really significant figure in Soviet cinema, but pretty much unknown outside of Russia. OK, 
Uh, but like in Russia, in his time, he was like the John Wayne of Russia. Oh, all right. So he was a kind of a big deal. Yeah. So a lot of the movie is just the incredibly water damaged footage from this movie but like sometimes with the original movie sound overlaid sometimes with subtitles uh, so we can sort of see what's happening more because a lot of it is just missing uh, but it's just really cool to see this incredibly decayed film because that's kind of bill morrison the director uh, that's sort of always his thing he's really interested in the uh, aesthetic of celluloid decay okay and so it's that plus uh, sort of a history of Soviet cinema and a sort of semi-biography of Mikhail Zhirov and sort of the rise and fall of his career along with the rise and fall of the Soviet Union. Hmm, fascinating. Uh, but yeah, pretty modest, uh, like in comparison, because, you know, it's not a lost film or anything. It's just kind of a, a tone poem based on that. And it's a tribute or it's uh, dedicated to... Uh, Johan Johansson, who's uh, one of my favorite film composers, uh, who uh, tragically died of drowning a few years ago. And he's the one who notified Bill Morrison about this find because he he was an Icelandic person. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's, it's really sweet. Uh, I, I, it's nowhere near as good as Frozen Time, but uh, really interesting. All right. Uh, and last one up is Madeline, Anatomy of a Nightmare. Uh, really weird, psychedelic, surreal, Italian. Uh, I don't know what kind of genre this is. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. So it opens up with this lady having this really elaborate nightmare themed around a miscarriage she had. She's being chased by all these women in neon wigs through a cornfield and then a forest and then there's all this broken glass and then there's a race car on fire and the guy who was driving the race car visibly on fire outside of it and then she wakes up from it and she she has this husband who works in experiments which bend reality like he's doing teleportation shit okay okay uh, and for whatever reason, I don't know, she just, she can't deal with all of these nightmares and her, uh, miscarriage is just like haunting her and she just starts exploring her sexuality with a variety of partners, but also her reality starts to become unmoored and just reality sort of bends in on itself. It's a really unusual movie. Hmm. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. Uh, so those are uh, the options for movie two next week. All right. Well, right now it's uh, between Shiva Baby and the Nightmare one. Okay. Um, and hmm, I don't know what I'm kind of. I don't know what I'm feeling. F more a comedy or a trippy nightmare weird thing. Uh, do I want to go? They're both pretty great. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Uh, they're they're really excellent. There's a lot to recommend either of them. Okay. Uh, I should say the the Madeline one. That's the first in uh, Vinegar Syndrome box set, the Camille Keaton in Italy set, which looks pretty interesting. I'll have a film to introduce there in the ads. All right. Um, I think I'm gonna go with Shiva Baby this time. All right. Uh, so. Then we'll move on into the additions to the stacks this week. 
Uh, first is Queens of Evil, uh, which is about this hippie motorbiking around Europe. And he breaks down at this big, luscious estate. And there's three weird ladies who are maybe Satanists. Uh, they take him in and, uh, you know, they, they're probably vampires or something. <laughs> okay. All right. We, we, I, there's literally another movie with the same plot that is also being added. <laughs> uh, next up is Black Moon Rising, which is the last in the Carpenter ones. This is the final Carpenter script, uh, not directed by him. Mm-hmm. It's a mid-80s movie. It has Tommy Lee Jones again, and he's a super thief who's hired by the government to steal some data from a crime organization and I can't remember the exact sequence of events. I have seen this movie a couple times. Uh, he hides it inside this experimental stealth supercar. Okay. <laughs> and then the supercar gets stolen by another super thief, Linda Hamilton. You know, from Terminator. This is like oh, yeah, yeah. Her recently off Terminator. Uh, and then it's kept in a heavily guarded skyscraper and they have to break in to get it back. I remember it being really fun, but, you know, with that premise and Tommy Lee Jones and Linda Hamilton, obviously it doesn't fully deliver on it, considering that uh, nobody's heard of this movie. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) But it's a pretty good time. Very, very 80s. Uh, Next up is Vampires, which is the other one with the same plot as Queens of Evil. This is just a lesbian vampire couple. Uh, who have a spooky mansion and they just prey on various lost motorists. So this time it's more focused on uh, the vampires as a couple uh, rather than any one uh, person they're encountering. Hmm. All right. Uh, Next up is Disciples of Shaolin, which is a Shaw Brothers kung fu movie, which interestingly is about the exploitation of workers in the Chinese textile industry. Huh. Yeah. That's a, <laughs> you know what? That, that's it's a topic that needs to be explored. Especially a topic that needs to be explored with kung fu. Definitely gotta beat up some sweatshop bosses. Yeah, exactly. So that's that seems pretty rad. I'm I'm into that. Yeah. Uh, and last one added is tragic ceremony, which is the next in the Camille Keaton box, where. Uh, Just some dudes are out driving in the country and they end up at what seems to be this deserted villa. But it turns out there's a horrifying satanic black mass ceremony being performed there and it turns into a massacre. All right. Uh, I hear it's really rad, but very intense. Uh, I'm looking forward to checking that one out. Cool, cool. All right. So what are your thoughts in terms of... uh, what we want to do for our main picture next week got a lot of options there are tons of options tons and tons let me get back into the inactive stacks i had it open where is it there it is um oh yeah i did see wet hot american summer but i i kind of prefer watching movies i haven't seen before generally that's totally fair yeah yeah um and oh you know what I've been hearing things from various places about the Clue movie that it's okay or good or... Yeah, oh, it's classic, I would say. Uh, re- huge comic energy. One of Tim Curry's greatest performances. Maybe the oh, greatest. T- 
Tim Curry. Okay. He's um, the butler, and he's just sort of leading the energy of the movie. <laughs> well, heck, let's uh, let's do some Clue. All right. Uh, so that's Clue and Shiva Baby for next week. Sounds uh, like it's going to be a, a fun one. It's going to be a lot of uh, high energy. <laughs> all right. Very, well. very focused. Laser focused. Uh, all right. Uh, so any final thoughts before we close? Um, yeah, just that, guys, look after your mental health. Um, look, pay attention to your kids' mental health. The whole thing about about uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night is that all of it could have been prevented if anyone had just, like, you know, given a shit about this kid. Well, anyone in a position of power to. Well, uh, yeah, there yeah. was someone who did, but like there was she was someone, just overruled. She was... Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> as happens in institutions sometimes. That's that's sort of the problem. I don't know the solutions, um, but just pay attention and and be there, and, and be there for yourself too if you need to. Just mental health is important, and it just gets yeah. it just doesn't get looked at it it's not taken seriously enough for real and, and, and starting to change these days but yeah yeah and th- this is a podcast about mental health as well well <laughs> I, I mean I, I have said it before and i will say it again <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah you know take care of your mental health and uh it's like i i always think that that's one of the coolest things about silent night deadly night is that it's schlocky and it's ridiculous and it's a movie about a slasher santa who does some pretty nasty kills <laughs> while screaming naughty and punished naughty. At the top of the <laughs> or not even screaming but like grunting it like punish, punish. be punish <laughs> it's it's ludicrous but it also has some kind of really cogent points to make about the mental health system uh and, and, or, and, and the, the way it, people develop into dangerous lunatics like why spree killers exist in america yeah and like just or everywhere uh, yeah and (laughs) and just like about not listening to kids like i just think that one point is yes yes 100 percent. and that's like my least favorite trope in movies is people not listening to children like there there are so many movies that are entirely driven by that as like their core concept and those are so infuriating to me those are the worst yeah like especially if you're in a monster movie always listen to the kid they always know like they if they had know. listened to toshio what would have happened i mean they did they fully listen to toshio i don't know i don't know <laughs> um well gamera is still alive so yeah, yeah. and he's kind of a good guy now i guess maybe he was kind of maybe always a good guy. He kind of sort of wasn't in the first one, but then in the second one, he, I don't even know this. The, I mean, there, there was all of that stuff. I mean, the, the second jewel. one could have been just <laughs> Barugan and the jewel featuring Gamera. Uh, <laughs> I love those stupid movies. We got to get back to them sometime. <laughs> oh, I, I was, I was thinking about that. I like it was on, I was considering that for this week. Yeah. Uh, well, we, we we have some idea. We we have some spring cleaning or New Year's resolution concepts coming up in January, so we might uh, need to get to it then. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes out. 
Yeah. Uh, well, I think this episode will be their last one going up before Christmas this year. So uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, happy holidays, whatever. Yeah, whatever, whatever you celebrate or don't. I hope whatever it is, is what you want it to be and what you need it to be. Yeah, and like if if you are terrified of Santa, we we apologize for uh, talking about Merry Christmas. That's cool too. <laughs> oh, I guess Santa <laughs> we, we, can we be wanna... scary, man. I mean, he sits in a mall and has kids on his lap. I understand why that could be frightening. <laughs> the scary guy in red who was created by the Coca Cola Corporation. Oh my God, I for I always forget that. <laughs> he literally was created by Coke. He is a Coke mascot that got out of hand. Sort of. I mean, like, he's also an amalgamation of various folk traditions. But yeah, like, the image of him we have is heavily created by Coke. Uh, so anyway, uh, next week we'll be covering Shiva Baby and Clue. Uh, should be a lot of fun. All right. Looking forward to it. Peace, y'all. Uh, keep watching the stacks.